0: Everyone fails on the way to greatness, in you know, everyone, but trust me, greatness is achievable to every single person who suffers from addiction and mental health, no matter what it is.
1: I'm Neil Mags, and this is Bristol Unpacked, speaking to fascinating Bristolians on topics where others may fear to tread. Brought to you by the city's community-owned media, the Bristol Cable. You're listening to audio taken from a video of packages being thrown into the yard of a British prison. It was recorded by an inmate from inside the prison itself. Today's guest, Paul Simmons, also known as Paul Addict Mentor, spent over 20 years in different prisons up and down the country convicted as a young man for offences ranging from street robbery to armed robbery, right up to kidnap. He knows the system inside out. We're here to talk to him about his life behind bars, what it's like, can you rehabilitate, can you change? And the culture, the environment, the violence, the stress. How do people cope with it? And is the prison system built to change people? Is it fit for purpose? Paul came out a couple of years ago and is dedicating his life to supporting others. He himself was a heroin and crack addict and supports people with his own unique system he's created to support people in the depths of addiction. He's very familiar of the pathway from abuse, himself experiencing that in care, to crime and to addiction, and also now how to start to build your life back together. He's also a big Bristol Rovers fan like myself, and has been helping the Bristol Rovers Community Trust, talking to their clubs, fans, supporters and the schools that they work in. So sit back and enjoy this one. Uh, it's, a, it's a really special chat. Enjoy. Hey, Paul, how you doing? I'm good, mate. How are you? I'm very well. I'm under pressure a bit now because it's like your arena, isn't it? The podcast game. At the moment, it really is, yeah. And you do this every morning, 10 a.m. on TikTok? I go TikTok
0: live. It's supposed to be 9 till 10, but it can be 9 till 10, 10 30, 11 o'clock. Depends how many people I get in, how many people need support, because it's all about addiction and mental health. Yeah, and
1: you've got about 15,000 followers or something. And this yeah, is not, we're just, doing this not just, this is like both sides of the pond as well, And it? You've got a lot of Americans. Yeah, America yeah, it's, it's
0: worldwide. Like, right. Genuinely, I've got people from South
1: Africa. I've got people
0: from Australia. I've got people from China all over. the nation Knows no boundaries, man.
1: We've got people from as far as Hembury, Safe Mead, <laughs> down to Hartcliffe and Noel West in, in this show. Big up my <laughs> Bristol crew. I've been watching YouTube interviews and... Dare I say, you know, you've got an amazing story, but you tell it in a really interesting, powerful way. That's partly why oh. I wanted to talk to you because we can talk about a number of things, your life in yeah. prison, addiction, this sort of radical new approach yeah. that you're doing, the work that you're doing now. You were on the front page of the Evening Post in November for your work, which is really an interesting full circle journey because you were also on the front page of the Evening Post in 2004 for completely different reasons. Just, just tell me a bit about that. So in
0: 2004, I was in the height of addiction to heroin and crack cocaine, and I was in the front page of the paper for several days before I got convicted of robbery, armed robbery, kidnap, false imprisonment, firearms offences, and a couple of attempted robberies, and ended up getting 10 years, 6 months, 27 days in prison. That's a long time. A very long time, yeah. yeah. I served almost nine years. I should have only served about eight, but I wasn't on the best behaviour. So, you know, I ended up serving what a long time,
1: yeah. But in totality, you've served 22 years. Yeah. Um, For you now then, and we'll talk a bit about your prison life, but fast forward to this moment where... You've been on the BBC last week. You've been on a, a very big YouTube international interview that a guy does with people from prison life and crime. you on the front page of the paper. You're kind of being thrust into the media limelight for completely different reasons, dare I say, more sort of positive reasons. And how does that feel for you having been on that entire journey from where you started to now?
0: Honestly, it feels absolutely amazing. I started putting just statuses up in Facebook groups, and that's what it was. It was just a few positive things on Facebook. it didn't really kick off to what I wanted it to do. So I went over to the real social media, you know, the live streaming, the podcasting sort of idea on TikTok, and it really kicked off real quick because there's a, quite a big community in social media land for people who are recovering out loud and that's what we call people who are doing recovery but they're sharing it
1: with everyone else and if this is on TikTok then is it a slightly younger audience than yourself yeah, I, say? Yeah. I can
0: say that I can say <laughs> yes with yeah. because last night I looked at all the references to who's watching how long and it's not quite the audience i'm looking for to be honest with you right yeah so it tells me that i have got 13 to 24 year olds that's the biggest age group and it's good that these people watch because that's what i do in in real life i go out and give talks to kids all over the place about you know my life about not getting involved in street crime drug crime county lines all of that but what I, i aimed my TikToks originally for were to help other people who had been in addiction for years, decades, like myself, Hmm. who thought they could never get clean and sober, who thought that there wasn't a way out.
1: And your approach is slightly different. You're addicted to heroin, is that right? Yeah, heroin heroin and crack coke. From what age and for how long,
0: Paul? I was under 17 because I was in jail by the time I was 17. So it was like 16 up until I was 40. In my 40s, I
1: finally decided to get it right. We've moved on a lot now, I think, in terms of our understanding of addiction than probably back then. I mean, you're on record. I've had a look at a few articles written about yourself. You're pretty open about your own experiences growing up in care as, a, oh, as yeah. a child and experiencing abuse. Is that something in your work you're seeing a, a greater connection with? Because there is a strong connection and strong link between addiction, particularly drug addiction or any addiction, really, and childhood trauma, childhood abuse?
0: It is. Honestly, I am now finding out that childhood trauma it's just linked with so many people who are in now active addiction or they're struggling or they're getting into their recovery yeah i i find this i get messages when i say i get messages every day i need to explain it to you i've had to put my phone on silent because I get messages from all over the world every day from guys who had been abused, who've been through the care system, not just in the UK, like I said, all over the world. So this is a worldwide problem we've had with the care system. Right? So I get I get messages, people are opening up. They are telling their parents for the first time. They go into the courts for the first time. And this is just because I decided to come out one day and The reason I'm so open, I have to say this real quickly, the reason I am so open is I spent 22 years in prison. I saw the mental health firsthand for over two whole decades. So I knew what the problem was. long time before I got my head right, I knew what the problem was.
1: And that's the causality link as well, isn't it? It's abuse, it's trauma, childhood trauma, it's addiction, and also prisons are full of people. I'm pretty sure it's ninety odd percent of people that experience some kind of childhood trauma. Yeah, childhood trauma. That process,
0: yeah, yeah, childhood trauma or undiagnosed mental health issues. It's
1: over ninety percent of the prison population. It's scary. Right. I just want to touch a little bit on the care situation, if I can. Yeah. We've had a, there's a recent a court case actually that I think is ongoing that Eastwood Park detention center which is oh yeah i saw not, that i was yeah, reading not, about that yesterday not far from here and you would have been in care around the 80s 70s 80s 80s, 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 80s. And, 80s and it and was right then why was it it was as if i mean the amount of stories and the amount of people i've even met or read about or seen in documentaries that it just seemed to be full of predatory paedophiles yeah, they abusers were, yeah
0: they were abusers and you know what a funny thing is these guys and girls were in the care system under the guise of care staff. Now, I always find this the most disturbing, really, that they were classed as care staff, and they just took advantage of isolated children, kids who had nowhere to run to, had no support network apart from the supposed support network that they were supposed to be providing us.
1: It just seems to be that the entire sector was blind or willfully blind to this stuff that was going on. Willfully blind is the right word. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely.
0: It is willfully blind. The behaviours were so obvious. Now, I look back at it. Now, I went to a reform school, boarding school. It was very mixed. had very mixed children in it. Some kids had serious mental difficulties, you know, non-communicative at that time wasn't diagnosed as anything it was just you know we were they were bad kids and these people they would identify the children who weren't getting home on the weekends who didn't have family sending them things and making sure they had the nice clothes yeah they saw this they identified it and they just took pure advantage
1: children that don't have that i guess protection i suppose or that yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, zero yeah.
1: protection. The abusers that go into that line of work are specifically choosing to because they have access to vulnerable young people. I, I was involved in a couple of high profile cases around football um, when I was at Southampton as a schoolboy. And the stuff that all came out around clubs from then and the, the, the youth event and you know a year ago got 28 years. And it was systematic, it was going on and left their own devices. And this was a huge problem across football because people can get access to young people. And exactly what you just said, the children that they were targeting were the ones who were single-parent families or the ones who were getting a lift down or didn't have that support, who were a little bit isolated or would stay down on weekends because they couldn't go home. And um, it seems to me as if that entire decade of the 70s and the 80s, it just makes me wonder whether, like, more people must have known this stuff was going on. Uh, Not just just turn a blind to it, being complicit in this. So would you say that some of the criminality specifically violent crime, is connected to that abuse.
0: Yeah, it's like when you are systematically kicked, right, when you are systematically put down, there comes a point in your life, now I've talked about this before, where you just go, I am not having another person do that to me. I'm not having another person take advantage of me. I'm the boss now, and I make the decisions. And unfortunately, most people, when they hit that spot, they're in active addiction, they're in alcoholism, they're in some sort of real bad place. And that creates the violence, the the lack of empathy,
1: yeah, that's the key, isn't it? I think lack of empathy is interesting because I think if you're numb to your feelings or you feel pain or vulnerability that you don't want to feel and you want to avoid, the opposite to that is lack of empathy, lack of feeling, Yeah, hardening yourself, macho stuff and fighting and then eventually it leads on to violence and that just becoming like an habitual pattern almost an avoidance pattern i spent a lot of time working with young offenders before i was in the media yeah you know and most people do judge on what they see on the behavior but not what's causing the behavior and every one of them had a story, Paul. Every one of them had a similar story to yourself. And that doesn't mean that you collude with the behaviour. It doesn't mean no. that you say that's right, but it also just gives you a framework. An understanding. Exactly, a place of understanding, yeah. Let's talk a bit about prison for you. The the prison system itself, simple question really. Is it designed to lock people up? And protect society or is it designed to rehabilitate? Did you say
0: rehabilitate with a straight face? <laughs> I did. did yeah. that? No, it is a factory, it's a farm, call it what you will. Yeah, it it's there to protect society and just keep people locked up till the end day. Now that doesn't mean you can't get rehabilitated in prison. Right? It doesn't mean that. It just means the system right now, their main cause is to make sure that for at least 20 hours of the day Mm -hmm. were locked in a cell, right? So that's the main cause. I spent 22 years away. Many of those years, I wasted my life not doing anything, messing around, getting high, being stupid, right? Yeah. But once I started to realize... Like, you know, once I got the 10 and a half year sentence, it was like, man, you need to do something with your time. You, you know, you're talking about a part of a decade.
1: You're going to be sat in a
0: concrete cell. So, I want to I wanna
1: ask you about that because mm-hmm. by your own admission on the Sean Atwood podcast, which is a brilliant interview on YouTube, go, go you. and watch it, everybody. You went from being the weapons guy yeah, yeah to doing a degree in health and social care <laughs> and working <laughs> with trusts, doing storybook dads, Working yeah. With Dartmoor Education, Prison Education Trust. That seems to me quite a big journey to take. The weapons thing. Why were you the weapons guy? Well, do
0: you know, they, you can paint that the weapons guy. I was a guy, I was one of many who had a drug habit and would use any way possible to get those drugs. And one of those many ways were to make shanks for people in prison imagine a bit of steel that literally you take it to your window and you sit there all night sharpening it up into a very nasty pokey tool you put some sort of grip on it i used to take the rubber handles from table football tables okay and so it's like a proper knife it was it was very dangerous very violent
1: and this is for primarily for like a currency thing, isn't it's it? Become- there, there's a black market in prison yeah. where things cost a lot more than it would on things the outside. Things
0: cost sometimes a hundred times more for thing, anything, anything you want in there. You know, it's a limited market. Someone might get some in. And when there's like close to a, a thousand people all want it, you know, you can price it as you want.
1: So, so what would yeah. you be selling these shanks for then? I was, for- I was getting about £100 worth of spice
0: paper for this, right? So I say £100. In reality, someone has spent about £3 on that. But in there, it's about 100 quid. yeah.
1: Those familiar with custody will know this. Anybody has to have some way of making money or creating status. There's an economy that's sort of like... I wouldn't say encouraged, but sort of turned a blind eye a little bit by prison staff. There is a sort of culture in there. Um, A lot of people might find that a bit strange, but there is a system there, isn't there? There
0: is. There's the canteen barons. There's no other way to put it as simple as that. Right now, there's no tobacco in the prisons. Legal tobacco anyway. So they sell vapes. Now you get free vape capsules in a packet for a couple of quid. And some people have only got a couple of quid all week, right? That's how much they've got. They've got no money coming in from elsewhere. So they'll go to someone, can I borrow two of them, and I will buy you a packet back, or sometimes one for a packet back. And that's the baroning system, two for one or double bubble. It used to be called double bubble all the time, but it's a bit different now. Gels have changed, you know. And, yeah, you can borrow. (laughs) I've gone to borrow chocolate and cookies and fizzy drinks but I've also gone to borrow rizzlers and tobacco and shower gels and what whatever you need you know like
1: they put maize. and this is often where things kick off as well yeah. when somebody doesn't pay back and what could appear quite petty on the outside for like shower gel or something like that actually in prison when you've been there for a certain amount of time those things are really really critical and important to your everyday life so that often will spark a confrontation
0: yeah canteen days most prisons are on a friday they call it black eye friday or wacky wednesday if it's on a wednesday (laughs) right genuinely that's what it's called because people know 100 there are going to be people who cannot fulfill their debts i was one of them you know (laughs) don't hide who i was i was who i was and then it's beef, innit, Joe. You know I mean, you either I was quite lucky. You know, I'm a big guy, so I was I was a bit confusing for a lot of prisoners. You know, yeah. I was a big yeah. guy, but I was a drug addict. They weren't used to that behaviour. You know, but most guys, they yeah, they end up getting a good smack on a Friday when they ain't got whatever it is they owe someone. And it can be a one pound item. It doesn't matter. It's about someone gave you a list. To put on your canteen sheet because it's a sheet that you order and you didn't put it down so obviously you think that guy's an idiot a mug or whatever and that guy ain't having that
1: and you mentioned spice spice is like the new drug currency yeah. what was heroin has now become spice some people may not know what spice is and what kind of buzz you get from it just to explain
0: well, spice was a chemical that came in from China originally. They used it for <laughs> transporting carp. That was the original <laughs> purpose of it. I
1: didn't, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. Like, uh, well, yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: So it was yeah. calm carp when you transported them. Yeah. But it so it comes in green herbal form, but in prison now it comes soaked in paper. Yes, So it's sprayed onto paper. Uh, someone else has added to it to hold it in the paper and it's sold. And the effect, even though it was sold as synthetic cannabis, it's nothing like cannabis is.
1: People literally freeze on the spot, don't they? Yeah, and, absolutely. And like for like hour. It's just really bizarre to see people like completely off their face on spice. Really weird, like a zombie. It, you know, they
0: call it the zombie drug, don't they? I've seen that yeah. in the media quite a lot. In prison, they just say people are going man down. You, you know, you literally fall to the ground and start shaking, having like mini fits. You go into sort of a trippy zone. Where no one can get through to you, you think people are trying to attack you, so you end up flipping out, trying to hit people, and you're not knowing what you're doing. It's a real scary drug, and I would not <laughs> advise my worst
1: enemy to try it. And that—that's the like drug that's easy to get hold of now. Prisons are rife with spice yeah. up and yeah, down the line. Every jail,
0: yeah. every jail, every jail in the country today, you can
1: get some form of spice in somewhere. People will think, well, how the hell do people get drugs in prison? And you know how easy it is and stuff like that. Every prison's got drugs in. Do you think that the prison system knows and turns a blind eye a little bit? Listen, you know? I'll be
0: honest with you. I'm very aware of what I'm saying and stuff. Sure, but it's as simple as this. Yeah. If the prison system is calm, right? If things are flowing nicely, assaults are down. Staff attacks are down. Everyone bangs up on time because they just want to get in their cell and do what they're doing in private. I don't need to tell anyone how it's getting through. There are many different ways drugs get into prisons. You know, people get recalled and bring it in for recall. People get it on visits. Some jails you can still get drones in. You know, there are other ways. I can say this. Whilst I was away, I was in HMP, Colden Lake, and a uh, prison officer was convicted of bringing in drugs and PlayStation and some smart TV devices, and this is obviously he's been convicted of yeah, these. So that's why say it for sure.
1: Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But but, but I maybe mean, it kind of makes sense though. If you're a prison officer and it gives you an easier time, yeah. And as you said, prisoners are kind of calm and there's less aggro. Then the interesting thing is, if you? You must have seen this that people that have gone into prisons just because of the nature of the environment that you want to escape, the yeah. men- mentally and emotionally escape, that actually weren't addicted to any drugs at all and then become so when they're inside. But what's the sort of percentage either way for people that were already an addict as they came in or people that will pick up when they're inside? This I don't want to, you know, because this is a big thing. A lot of people go,
0: and I hear this a lot, oh, my mate never touched anything. He'd come out of prison. He was an addict. All right. That does happen, but the percentages aren't huge, right? I have to be honest, isn't it? because we're being honest here. It does happen. I never touched spice until I was in a prison up north. I'd never heard of it. Didn't even know what it was. Took it. It
1: blew me away. Got rid of a couple of days. And, you know. Do you feel that it's self-medicating to sort of go, or it's escaping out of your environment? Yeah, it's that, that
0: that self-medicating and escapism is 100% why so many people do use. So many people drink alcohol in jail. You know,
1: they brought hooch. When you think about it, it's, it's kind of a rational response to yeah. a problem, isn't it? Yeah, of course it is. You know, what do people do out here when they're having a bad day?
0: They want to go have a little drink or they want to go let their hair down and they don't want to think about things. Yeah. In that environment... Every day, unfortunately, is a bad day because every day you're away from your partner, every day you're away from your kids, every day your parents are growing older, your grandparents are hanging on. These are things lots of people don't think about. And yes, you go to jail because you've committed a crime. It's as simple as that. I I hold my hands up to that. But people need to understand why people struggle so much with daily life in there. Yeah. How many jails have you been in, Paul? Over 20. Over yeah, 20. Yeah, over and you've been in
1: Horfield, Yeah, I, sp- I spent about six years in Horfield. Was there a prison where you felt safer and you felt like you were growing more? Or, you know, flip side to that, was there a prison which you just felt was not a nice place to be in? Most northern
0: jails weren't nice, i got to be honest. And people say, Do you know, it's grim up north, but yeah. the jails are grim up north. It's disgusting. It's bang out of order
1: just going to jump in there and tell you a bit about the bristol cable it is a cooperative organization and we're always looking for members you can become one jump onto the bristol cable website and have a look and you can chuck anything in every month from a pound to a five or to a ten or whatever you feel like contributing and what you'll get with that is a say in regular meetings and agms about the type of stories and the topics we cover not just for the newspaper, but also online and you know, even this show and potential documentaries, anything really. You receive a weekly newsletter and you feel part of a community that's trying to shape and change media ownership, not just in Bristol, but across the country. Back to the chat. Did you get to a stage, obviously the back end of your sentence when you were Category D, open prison yeah. coming in the night Yeah. Yeah, I went to Cat D prison,
0: and I've absconded from Cat D prison. Yeah, absconded, absconded from Le Hill. Didn't really like it. Just weren't my degree of prisoner. Really, that's all I can say about that. When
1: you say absconded, what you, you just went and then I just you, walked yeah, out one yeah. night. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. It's open prisons, Cat D prisons. For people who don't know, there are no fences. There is nothing to hold you back. You've worked your way through the system to get to that point. And I was doing a long sentence and they put me there because they're like, right, you're coming to the end of your sentence. You've got like, I had actually two years left and it was just open all day. It was at that point, still very institutionalized. I was used to being unlocked at a certain time, being banged up at a certain time, getting fed at a certain time. And it was all a
1: bit too much for me. That's interesting, isn't it? Just hold that uh, Mm -hmm. a second that, when the bars are lifted so to speak and that little new faint freedom can be a bit scary real scary yeah yeah real scary it's literally like you you get a sentence
0: especially a big one you want to be locked up all day all day all day all day just get my time away or you want to be working whatever it is that's what you want and then it gets easier and you get a bit more freedom and you think oh this is all right but then you get In category D. It takes a certain person to deal with category D prison because you're in prison, but you're not. Any day you can just walk off.
1: Yeah. I mean, a lot of people don't even realize that they're all category D prisoners. People are literally working. Yeah. You know, outside in the community, and then we'll come back at the at the end of the day. Yeah.
0: Like there'll be guys working in, in your local charity shops, all different places, all over the UK. Trying to work through the end of their system, so they get jobs in the community. Yeah, yeah. I never got one though. No, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Where was that? I was just never that guy. At that point, I was, you know, I had another sentence in me. You know, okay. I had another yeah, nine yeah. and a half year prison sentence. In so me you kind of knew
1: one. that when you absconded, and that was yeah. almost like a deliberate plan to get put back in. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Just get get that sentence done. Let's get this one out of the way, and hopefully, we won't have another one. But it, you know didn't work
1: out like that. Presumably, having grown up in care, being in an institution for you would not have been completely alien.
0: I grew up in a prison environment or in an an institution. Um, I was taken out of my family home when I was nine years old and I was in a ball school, reform school, whatever you want to call it. And within months, I was in a young offenders institution And pretty much I was in that institution, give or take a few months until I hit adult. And then I spent (laughs) a a serious amount of time in adult prison. So, yeah, that's what I knew. I found it easy to sort of adapt to it. It wasn't anything unusual for me. And that's why so many people
1: are in that system. So that was your experience. I'm presuming you would have seen other people not take to it as easy as you that you know prison can break some people can't it
0: Oh, listen man i unfortunately you know i know a lot of guys who never made it doing small sentences big sentences it's uh yeah you lose a lot of people in a year in prison you won't realize it because it's not talked about it's not something unless you look at like you know records you don't realize it but people kill themselves every day in jail
1: yeah And that has an effect on other prisoners just witnessing that and seeing that. Yeah. I got,
0: I I got PTSD and you know, some of that is accredited to the things that I've witnessed whilst I was in prison for that time. Yeah.
1: And that's totally understandable, isn't it? Mm. The thing is,
0: it's sometimes it's, you know, it's the most violent thing you can think about. And it's a Tuesday. And that's that's
1: the only way I could put it really. It's literally like that. Um, Towards the end of your sentence then, Paul, you were doing courses and you got yourself clean and you had time perhaps to give yourself a bit of space to reflect upon your life. What kind of conclusions did you come to?
0: Oh, when, it, when I come towards the end, it's kind of mad, really. I'd had my degree for about five, six years and I'd been slowly going through the education system. So I'd done every, every course every single course you can think of that the prison system offer, I'd done. And I just kept on seeing these same faces coming up, popping back, coming up, popping back, self-harming, setting their cells on fire, doing dirty protests. And I'm thinking, do you know what? These guys, you know, they're not actually getting help. There's no one saying to them, I know you're an addict, and I know you've got mental health issues, but I know you're worth more than this. Something in my brain just clicked, and it was like, right, you need to get out there and really start speaking for the, the voiceless, because that's what I call these guys who are still in jail today, still banged up in a cell, refusing to come out because they're scared to walk the landings. Now, people don't know this. There is something in the prison system right now. I've been under it myself. I'm not afraid to say it. It's called self-isolation. Now, that is where you've either gotten so much debt or you've got so paranoid or it, you, your brain's lost it so much that you are so scared to come out of your cell for being attacked, assaulted or whatever it is. And these guys spend 24-7 in their cells, having their food brought to them, just sitting there all day watching the same old crap on TV. Which is going to have a massive impact on your mental health. Huge. you know. And these guys are going from 24 hours in a cell to, oh, I'm out next week. And they're getting out. And then they're getting back into the community and into a society that isn't ready for someone who has been locked in a cell and afraid to go anywhere and then like the jail goes right that's it you've done your time you've done your license which means we don't have to find you anywhere to live but what we might do is give you a tent go find yourself somewhere out of the way and be quiet
1: and i think that drives the, the heart of the whole issue really is that it's a mental health crisis a real it's, crisis. It's, it's a trauma crisis we're talking yeah. about here, really. It's, yeah, yeah, not, yeah. it's not, you know, the, the criminality it's thing. It, it's not crime. That's just a, no. that's just a symptom of, of that.
0: Yeah, crime is the after effect, right? <laughs> it's, it winds I'm not the most intelligent guy. I am not, right? But I can see it. I sat in it. I've experienced it. I've smelt it. I've felt the heat. I know what I'm talking about. So many people in prison are in prison because no one has stepped forward and gone, I want to help you with your trauma. I'm going to sit and talk to you. I'm not going to laugh at you when you're telling me you've got mental health issues because that's what happens in jail. When you tell a prison officer, not all, and I have to state this, not all, Right. But you can tell certain prison officers, I got mental health. They laugh at you, bang the door up in your face and say, Don't worry, I'll get mental health to come and see you and never even pick up the
1: phone. It's also partly a training issue. Yeah. You're sending in, you know, from people I've spoken to you know, in recent Trainees, times. Training, training, Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and also particularly some of the private prisons where it's understaffed, it's underfunded, it's about profit. They're slashing and burning everywhere. You've got less prison officers on wings, you know, certainly less experienced prison officers. They're scared and they, they don't really know how to perhaps even they cope, are with scared. Their, cope with their own feelings where the, in the environment, let alone somebody that's going through a mental health crisis.
0: You have just hit the nail on the head, right? So what happens I've, I've been in Stockton, HMP Stockton, right? So that's a, a bit towards the Midlands. And that is a training prison, okay? So it's very high security. What it, I noticed is you'd get a trainee coming in, and they'd be shadowed by a long-term member of staff. So that happens. Then two weeks later, some more trainees will come in. Now, that trainee was a trainee two weeks ago is now showing the new trainees how to do the job, you mm-hmm. know, and you're shadowing people who really don't know what the job is yet. And so when people are picking up bad behavior, and that bad behavior being passed down the line, nothing is going to change anytime soon.
1: We've got to look at other avenues, like more trauma-based approaches, which is exactly what you're doing. Yeah, and that is why I'm very lucky. Like,
0: as you said, I have been all over the media recently. And because of that, I've recently been in talks with the Swindon Integrated Offender Management Team and Youth Offender Team, and they are bringing me on board.
1: So they're listening, they're open. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Change is afoot, I promise you. (laughs) It is afoot. And more people like yourself, I think, that yeah. come through It's probably what's needed. And I want to talk to you about your approach. You call it the non-active approach. And it's, it's connected to trauma, to offended, but also specifically to addiction. Because, you know, as we said earlier in the conversation, you cannot divorce those two connections. You have to deal with both absolutely and i'm really interested in this and you've said this to me before in our build-up to doing this interview that the 12 steps didn't work for you people that no. will be familiar with the 12 steps when they alcoholic anonymous but there's also cocaine anonymous and narcotics anonymous you can go to any meeting across bristol or wherever and you will see a lot of ex-cons and it's been very effective for some people yeah yeah but it... i also know a lot of people that it hasn't been and it was really interesting to me that you said you had an issue and a problem with the spirituality or the godlike yeah. element of that, because within the system, it's a god of your own understanding, but it's founded on a Christian concept. Yeah. But I'm glad you said that because I know a lot of people have said exactly the same as that and feel like there's nowhere quite else to go.
0: Yeah. Listen, right? I, like I said, 12 steps work for so many people. It really does. It's a great if it works for you. Yeah. But if you are of my, belief system, right? I am not atheist, I'm not agnostic, I'm nothing, right? I I just I'm me. So I went to prison and I did the 12-step program and it worked for oh, maybe a month. And then I got out and I relapsed and I went back to prison. I did the 12 step program again and then I relapsed because it worked for about two weeks. And then when I was on the program for the third time something stuck in my brain that they say. They say this if you do the same thing over and over and over again and expect a different result, that's called insanity. Right. So I was thinking, oh, hold up. Why am I continuing to do the same program, expecting it to work out a different way when I genuinely don't? I can't sit in a circle and do the serenity practice. I can't do that. People say it's non-religious, God, if you understanding. But in the very next if you say, okay, let's do the serenity prayer. Do you yeah. understand?
1: So, Yeah, which is a Christian it, prayer.
0: Yeah, it's a Christian prayer, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I like to paint things how they are. So I came up with the non-active approach. So this is a non-religious, non-spiritual but it can be if you want it to be okay. If you believe God is helping you on your journey, crack on with it, right? But we don't just focus on addiction. That's the very first foundation, right? Getting you clean, right? Helping Mm. you to get yourself sorted, whether that's scripted, hard detox, diet plans, because we're not just talking about drug addiction here. I deal with addiction across the board. You're not going to walk into one of my groups and someone's going to go, oh, no, you can't be an mate, because you're a drug addict and we're drinkers. That doesn't, know. right? So it's open to everyone. And then we start dealing with the finite issue, your mental health, your housing, employment, education. Can you read and write? Yes. Simple things like that. If you can't read and write as a grown-ass man, I'm going to help you do that. I'm going to point you in the right direction. People call it pathway learning, right? Mm. So that's what I am. So you're
1: moving forward to solution focus, which actually mental health spectrum generally, things are more holistic. That's the word. Yeah, yeah. It's very different than what's tended to happen in psychiatry or mental health. It's been very Freudian and you go back and analyze everything that's happened to you and you go over and over and mull it a little bit. That happens on the one hand, or you get prescribed drugs. That's the other thing. Yeah. Then the other one is... And I don't want to dig out 12 steps. Either. I mean, I experienced it, but it can be a bit culty, I think. And oh, I know man. people that are that's doing sex. That, that, <laughs> that's that, my favorite. That's my favorite. Yeah, as you said, you know, for some people, it's amazing and worked. And I know that 100%. But also, what you said about moving forward and those practical steps, right? I know people that go to CA or NA, yeah. right? That all they do is go to CNNA meetings. That's it. A- that's a- that, and it's, that, it's become it. a culture. Oh. They're addicted They're addicted to meetings and talking about their problems st- every st- five minutes. It's active addiction. I I think so, yeah. She's still in active addiction. Yeah. And unless you're moving forward, unless you're moving forward and you're living your life and you see those actual changes. If all you're doing is doing that, I don't know. I just think that for some people great. For others, I agree with you. And I quite like what you're doing here because there is a bit of a gap in the market for some people. Because it's almost like if that don't work, what do you do? Yeah, and there's a shaming yeah, 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 a little yeah, bit. Yeah, it's absolutely. a shaming, a
0: shaming a bit as well. Um, oh, real. Paul? I have that a lot. A lot of people say that to me. People say that. You know, I've genuinely right now. I have a woman on my group who is a cancer survivor, and she is on a morphine sort of drug, and she's been told she cannot attend because she is still in active addiction right she's still using because it's a morphine but it's for pain relief so a lot of people are feeling ostracized they are feeling left out yeah
1: but i mean even if you have a drink for it's a very I have bar, a drink bar I go isn't football. it yeah i yeah. have Where a you cider go? Yeah, there you go likewise and i think i know other people that have been through the 12-step process that were perhaps heroin addicts or yeah. crack addicts and drink wasn't their particular thing or their issue and then they will have a drink like i said at football or popping like nothing silly no but to people within the 12 steps you're, you're, <laughs> that's you're, not you, good you enough. haven't conquered your addiction hang no. like, on a minute that's what I conquered
0: my addictions.
1: Yeah, exactly. You're... Not yours. Yeah. That's 95% of the population operate like that. So I just think it's a bit impractical. I think the spiritual context of it can actually be quite liberating. Not, it can you know, really work for a lot of people. Yeah. Generally, forgetting even about 12 steps, but like, the issue I've had is that it's the sort of culty rules-based thing. Unless you fit into this box, you're not X and Y. And I think that's what's problematic. Yep. And actually, I think it's pushed some people into deeper addiction. Real deep. Real deep. and
0: denial, and you know, they're not being open and honest because they feel they have to be a certain way. You know, I have people come on to me every day, and someone will go, Oh, Paul, do you know what? I messed up last night. I knew I shouldn't have. I know I should have called you or get in contact. But am i all right to be in the meet? Oh, of course, you are. <laughs> me, of course, you are because everyone fails on the way to greatness in everyone but trust me greatness is achievable to every single person who suffers from addiction and mental health no matter what it
1: is what i quite like about your approach is you're open about your own mental health issues there's sometimes a sort of sense that the therapist or the person who's supporting somebody is somehow like completely sorted and it's at the top of the mountain. And actually, you're quite open about some of your own challenges and issues that you work through yourself, yeah?
0: Yeah, yeah. I have good days, and sometimes I have terrible days, And I I think some people will know already. But I think you have to be honest. I have borderline personality disorder. What what is is that? What is borderline? It's nothing but a pain in the backside. That's what it is. So so basically what it means, I'm talking to you now and I'm like this and I'm quite up and I'm chill. I can literally sign off from you now. Yeah. Walk three steps and be in a completely different, dark, depressive mood with no indicator. There's nothing that tells me it's going to happen. It just happens.
1: And, you know, I deal with that daily. And you suffer from PTSD or you live with PTSD. complex PTSD, they call it now. And do you have things that you do around those?
0: Yeah, I get up every morning, tell myself something positive about myself. I make sure I set myself small, achievable goals every single day. I want to see myself achieving something. And that can be as small as, you know, sending off an email to someone who yeah. hasn't heard who I am yet because, you know, that's my plan to let everyone know and get this recovery programme out into the big, wide community because I think a non-active approach can fit a market perfectly.
1: I like, like that whole thing around walking the walk. And I do think you need to be at a certain point down the road to be able to offer support to other people. Yeah. But you don't need to be at the end of that road. And actually, no. when we actually look at the grand scheme of things, There's no such thing. You know, nobody's perfect. Everybody's going through something. And I think people like the fact that when they share something with somebody and they get some support, that that person's walked in their shoes. That's powerful. Yeah.
0: It really works for me. I think people like the fact that if, like I said, if I'm having a good day, they see that. If I'm having a bad day, they see that. I have someone who mentors me, right? Now, this is how open it is. This is someone who I met through my TikToks who started coming on. And she was like, mate, you need someone to talk to. So when you're feeling like that, I am going to mentor you. And that just shows people that, no, I am not there yet. I am not anywhere near, you know, at the top of the mountain. But I tell you, I'm not stopping climbing anytime soon.
1: For real, most social workers, most psychologists have someone they go to and talk to. There's this myth, I think, that, you know, I'm a kind of anti-guru person by nature, that I don't believe in it. Yeah. And I see a lot of people get held up in pedestals. And I think that actually it's about supporting people to be the best self they can be. Like I say to people, I come
0: across a lot of mental health kings, queens, warriors, princesses. I am not that. I am Paul. I was an addict, and now I'm a mentor. So I am Paul Addict Mentor. (laughs) simple as that.
1: And that's what you call yourself an actual kind of, it's become your sort of brand. You've got your your logo, which I love. Um, Pam, Pam for sure. It's like a sort of Bristol Rovers, because what we haven't spoken about is, like me, you're a big Bristol Rovers fan. I'm a huge fan. your logo for Paul Paul, Addict Mentor, Recovery Rovers. Yeah, Recovery Rovers. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. I love that. (laughs) Blue and white quarters as well.
0: Yeah, well, I've got a friend who's really good. He works. He's a Google analyst, you know, works at Google. And I was like, mate, I really want my own sign. He first came up with a little guy who looks like me. And then we went from there and he saw how much of a gas that I was. And we may have borrowed a little bit of the Rover's sign. They've not got mad at me yet for it. But yeah, it looks good. And a lot of people get confused when they look at it. And I love that.
1: And you do your little videos. um, Yeah, every day. But not, no, but also from Rovers when you did one on Saturday, didn't you? When you were at Rovers. And you've gone in and you've done some work with the Bristol Rose community. Yeah, trust I'm down talking, doing the
0: rebounds on Thursday. So I'm down doing the mental health <laughs> evening with the players.
1: So, yeah.
0: And this is crazy. coming from a lad
1: who you grew up. I know you live in Swindon now. You grew up in Lockley. Oh, my
0: Lockley boy. Yeah, Green Grove, man.
1: Just down the road for the Rovers ground. You would have gone there as a kid or whatever. you know. And then now you're going back there. Oh, yeah, um, it yeah. Yeah. it's
0: the community trust have really looked after me. Big shout to Adam Tutton. and they really, really have looked after me in a massive way. They're really supportive in what I'm trying to do, and you know, I've got free bookings for the
1: Rovers within the next six weeks. Amazing, the, you know, talks and workshops. So they're great. And I think, in a way, Paul, there's no better life experience of dealing and coping with trauma than being a Bristol Rovers fan, is there? Really. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you know oh i it's, know about yeah. the trauma man
1: yeah
0: yeah what's your future plans with this uh, like i said i'm doing some i've been in talks with like the yacht team and the offender management team and they really want me on board so i think that's where i'll be i'll continue doing the social media stuff because i love it i absolutely love it going on and giving people advice and listening to some banging drum and bass music yeah, yeah. um but apart from that, yeah, I just want to keep doing my talks and giving people information and l- letting people know about my life experience because it
1: seems to interest people. And you're very optimistic in the sense that you do believe anybody can be anyone rehabilitated. I think there's a quote here from you, anybody can get clean and sober. Don't be fooled by this term institutionalized. Yeah, no, I hate um, that word. Any, hate anybody it. can be free. Yeah. yeah. What do you mean by that? Listen, right, we
0: all get told when we're in jail, Yeah. oh, we'll keep yourself for you. Oh, how long are you going to be out this time? You don't be long, do you know what I mean? You're a waste of space. You might as well not even go home. Why don't you just whack? All of this stuff gets told to you. And then when you get out, you get told you're institutionalized, mate. It's not Hmm. going to be long before you go back to jail because that's where you're comfy. It's nonsense because all it is is we keep getting told this stuff. So if there was people out there going, do you know what? You're amazing. You're going to smash it. You're going to do amazing things. You're going to be on the BBC. You're going to be front page of the Bristol yeah, Post. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Whoever said that to me? No one.
1: So where did you get your belief from this
0: time then? My partner. Okay. She's, she's been telling me for eight years that I could do this. Eight years. And I've been clean for four. So, you know, she had faith.
1: And then that then becomes internalized, doesn't it? Yeah. A
0: lot of us, when we're walking down the street, we tell ourselves stuff, yeah? We do this all the time. Many of us won't admit it, yeah? (laughs) But we do. We tell ourselves we're doing good, we're doing bad. That is your internal dialogue. That is what sets you up most days, how you're going to be. It can be so fleeting. It can be so brief. But you have to tell yourself at least once a day that you're going to do something good and amazing
1: and genuinely mean it. it's been brilliant talking to you I, I i thank you so much for being really open and and honest and salute what you're doing you know for yourself and more importantly for other people you don't you know you, uh, yeah respect to you man
0: thank you so much honestly i really really enjoyed it i really did you take it easy At the gas At the gas <laughs> come on <laughs>
1: Many thanks to Paul Simmons, Paul Addict Mentor for being a guest on this week's episode of Bristol Unpacked and we shall be back next time with a brand new guest and another fantastic topic. I'm Neil Maggs. Big thanks to our executive producer Adam cantwell Corn, and to our production team from the Bristol Cable in collaboration with Ession Noise. Also, Blue Dot for our music.